Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Real Life Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Spears, author, speaker, advocate, and someone who loves to hear inspiring, extraordinary stories from everyday people. I'm fortunate that I get to meet so many different people, and I'm super excited to introduce you to one of them now. My guest today is Chris Brecht, and I am super excited to introduce you to Chris uh, for a lot of reasons. One is because we've become friends. Yes, ma'am. Which has been super fun. But I'm sitting here in my Elect Breck t-shirt. Were you surprised that I, I like ditched the suit and I'm, I'm Elect Breck now? I was surprised, but pleasantly <laughs> so. <laughs> you have been so great, though, to, uh, when I see Facebook and all the social media marketing that you're doing, it's blown my mind. So well done, friend. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad we're getting the word out. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. All so right. you are running for Tulsa County District Judge. Yes. And so let's just like tell everybody, what does a Tulsa County district judge even do? Sure. So a, Tulsa, a district judge presides over one of four different dockets or the types of cases that they would hear. Um, the first and probably most self-explanatory is a criminal docket. So anybody that's charged with a felony from you know simple drugs all the way up to murder um, would be on a criminal docket in Tulsa County. And a district judge would preside over those types of cases. The second type is a civil docket, which is like car wrecks or uh, breach of contract or you know when two companies get into a dispute. Um, that would be another type of docket that you would preside over. And when I say preside, I mean um, all the hearings and everything all the way up to jury trials. Okay. That's what I mean when I say preside. Then the, the third type is the probate and adoption docket, which I'm very familiar with because I do a ton of adoptions. But um, Ooh, you had a big smile. That must be your passion. <laughs> I do. I, I've, it's become, like, surprisingly enough, become my passion. I didn't think right out of law school that I would be doing adoption work this, you know, about 10 years in. Uh, but I am lucky enough that that's what I get to do. I tell people it's like going to the baby, uh, baby wing in the hospital. It's like the <laughs> happiness docket. So um, I, I am lucky and blessed to be able to do that. Oh. And then the, but the last one, so the fourth one would be the juvenile docket. And so that is actually kind of like a combination of all the other three I just mentioned, but just for kids instead okay. of adults. So okay. you would be in control of those types of cases. I was on a jury on the juvenile docket I don't know how you say that differently, but uh -huh. I, was, I was really fascinated by the, the whole process. Like every time you, I, I've been on jury duty a couple of times, um, freaky fact, the day I got out of jury duty, uh, meaning that I served on Friday, was, and you're going to remember this, but yeah. you'll, it's legendary, was the day that O.J. Simpson was riding around in that white Bronco. Oh, yeah. Or were you like four when that happened? I, <laughs> I was a little younger. <laughs> but I became so enthralled with that whole legal process. Having, you know, when you serve on the, on the, on a jury and you get, you get a little glimpse into that. I can see why people are passionate about, mm -hmm. you know, serving. And I'm, I'm glad that you've got that experience because so many people don't have, I, I call it looking behind the curtain, mm -hmm. and you think you know, you watch Law & Order or whatever show it is, um, and but you don't really know until you've had that kind of insider look. So it is a really, I think it's a fun experience. Some people, I know not everybody loves jury duty, but. Well, you know, you don't like to not be at work for a week or whatever, right. but the thing that surprised me is um, after it was over, and I believe on that one there were only six mm -hmm. jurors, is that true? Yeah. I, I think there were uh, only six of us. And it's not always like not always the case, but there are some okay. cases where it's only six. Okay. And so afterwards, the, the um, attorney came out and said, I would love to entertain you in my uh, chambers if you would have any questions. Okay. 
And so all of us, of course, went in there. And so it was already over. It was decided. And she sat there and told us the things that, you know, could not be talked about in court. Right. And it blew my mind because if we would have known all of that, it was it would have been way more of a slam dunk. It was already the right decision. Um, but we labored over that for quite a while because we weren't privy to some of that. So what happens? Why? I mean, I know, I guess you can't really answer that question. But. Well, it, because every case is different, but I think you just touched on why it is important to, like why the district judge's role is so important because a lot of that evidence and a lot of that information that you were privy to after the fact, it is quite critical and there's usually many rules as to why those things aren't admissible when you're making certain decisions as a jury. Um, I tell people that a, a district judge's role in the, the courtroom in a lot of respects is like an umpire between the two mm. teams and so you're really not you know up here and everybody else down here you're really but you're really calling balls and strikes mm. and trying to make sure that it's fair for everybody. So that's really why I think it's interesting and kind of fun to to see that after the fact, well, this is what you didn't get to hear, yeah. but there is a good reason for that. Right. So I'm looking at you, this young guy <laughs> has all this energy. I mean, why you? What qualifies you to be a district judge? Why, why did you want to make that change in your career? Yeah, well, um, so it's really become a trajectory. Um, I started right out of law school, and even during law school, I was a public defender, so I got to represent um, indigent criminal defendants for Tulsa County, or just people that can't afford a lawyer, um, which was really an incredible experience, and I'm very lucky and thankful I got to have that experience. But I noticed that, um, and I got to practice in front of an amazing judge, his name is Judge Kello, he's no longer on the bench, but just an absolutely incredible human. Um, but not always, so often our underprivileged, especially in the criminal justice system, are, they don't get the, the level of respect that I think that all people are deserving of. And so that's really where I started to recognize a need for people that see people as people and not just as something to get through or another per, a number on the docket. And so it's where I started to really develop a passion for thinking, okay, well, this is really where I see myself in X number of years. But then I, as I came to develop my civil practice and then doing adoption work, it just became so much more apparent to me that I really had an innate ability, at least I think I did, um, at getting to the right answer and not necessarily the answer that's right for my client. And mm. so I just, I think that there's just a, a set of skills that make people uniquely qualified for the bench. And I, ha I, I think I possess that and I, I would really like to give back. It really is a service to be a judge. It's not an accolade. It's, it's, it's something to be approached with humility. So. Yeah, well, I've heard really successful <laughs> lawyers like you say uh, they don't want to be a judge because they don't want to take the pay cut. You know? it, it, <laughs> there is some financial um, downside. I wouldn't say downside, but you do. Um, there is definitely money to be made in the civil sector, um, but it's it's more of a calling and less about the dollar. All right. So if you, so I know what your passion is because you just shared that. But right. like, do you get to pick the docket that you want to be on? How does that work? No. Um, there is a presiding judge right now. That is Judge Bill Musman. But um, the presiding judge assigns the dockets. And now the rule of thumb is it's typically by seniority. And so if there are sitting judges that retain their seats, then they will typically get 
preference over newer judges that are elected, uh, but that is decided by the presiding judge. So. Okay, so you don't get to decide. You're just gonna you're gonna take whatever. I'm gonna take whatever, and I'm gonna hit the ground running. So my guess is that the the happy court or whatever you call it, <laughs> the adoption docket, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's probably not gonna be. That's probably one that a lot of people want, though. I would I would anticipate so. The uh, that docket's actually presided over by Judge Kell or sorry Judge Glasgow, um, and he did not draw an opponent. So I would assume that he will keep his own docket. Gotcha, <laughs> for gotcha. the next four years. Gotcha. So I have been fortunate enough to do some uh, consulting work with the Tulsa court, uh, drug court system. Okay, which is a great program. Oh my gosh, I've learned a lot, I, as I always do anytime I work with a team. Mm -hmm. I've been really, um, and I'm really passionate about what they're trying to do and trying to accomplish. We have such a high incarceration rate here. Incredibly I mean, high. What what do you think? Is there anything that you could offer as a reason for that, or how it could be different? I mean, is that something that you would be able to speak on? Yes. Well, I think that the reason is a mentality, um, and it's a statewide mentality as to that incarceration, for whatever reason, the idea of it seems to make people feel safe. But it's, in my opinion, and uh, it's it's a misnomer. I d locking people up does not make us a safer community. I know. Obviously, there are situations where incarceration is necessary. But uh, and a drug court is an amazing example of how diversionary programs, in fact, are not only correcting the problem, but they're rehabilitating people. It's, it's kind of going back to what I was saying before. You're treating individuals, even though they may be criminal defendants, as people and not as just somebody that, that made a mistake. Yeah. Um, we also have other great um, diversionary programs. We've got um, youthful, we've got youth programs, we've got women in recovery, which is kind of a gold standard um, amongst the community. I will say that even though Oklahoma has the highest incarceration rate, Tulsa is actually slightly lower than that. Mm. And I, I, I like to think that that is because of our amazing diversionary programs. That being said, I think that we can always use even more um, and utilize the ones we have even more than we already do. Do you have anything in mind in particular, or is that something that you're going to just embark upon if you're elected? I think that that'd be something I want to take a look at what we do have and then do an assessment and then do a need-based, okay, well, where can we plug in? I know that there has been a big push for a male equivalent to the Women in Recovery program, mm -hmm. and I know that that program is off the ground. I would really like to take a look at that because I know that the success rate for Women in Recovery is just incredible and see where... I could actually help that program even more. That would be kind of just spitballing. That's really what I think is where I want to focus first. But also, if I am lucky enough to get to work with kids, I think that there is always there's a, just always a need-based assessment for those types of programs. You have a lot of passion for kids. So. I do. I yeah. love kids. Yeah. yeah. I think that well, they're our future. And um, one thing I've tended to notice too is just especially with foster kids, there is a very high correlation between kids in the foster care system and youth that offend at least early on in life so that that is something i would like to look at i don't have a like a you know hit the ground running like plan in place but i do think that there is something there that we really should be looking at how we can curb that type of recidivism have you um, spent much time at the Parent Child Center of Tulsa? I have not, no. You've, I totally want to introduce you to them uh, okay. and the work that they're doing about you know how they can, they're trying to reintroduce those children back to their parents a little bit earlier, like the average uh, time it takes in a court system is 18 months. They're doing it in like three, 
there's a lot. There, I'm I, learning a lot about what they're doing. Too, and I so. think that that would be, like just again having worked a lot and in the adoption sector as well. I think that that earlier reunification is is really helpful for kids. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. I, I just think it's kind of crucial, actually. I think it's funny, like that people don't know, like you know, like when you know better, you do better. And what I love is that our community that we both live in here mm. is so. Uh, everybody has a passion, mm -hmm. like it's, you know, and, it, and it's usually there's somehow children involved and a lot of times women in recovery and all that. So I love that you're sitting sitting here, you know, as as a young man saying that those are your passions. For oh, sure. absolutely. And I'm, I think I'm lucky to live in a place like Tulsa, which is a community that does care. Yep. Um, obviously, we can always do better. But the fact that we we do have our eyes on the prize, I think, is really an amazing place to start. Do you, so we just passed medical marijuana, which is yes. just shocking. <laughs> I was blown away, and strongly so. Yeah, yeah. So, do you think how does that affect the you know the the judicial system if if it does? What do you think? Well, I think it affects it in a couple ways. It, uh, the first is on the criminal side. I think much like because before we passed medical marijuana, we actually passed um, a state question that decriminalized simple possession-based crimes. So even more than just marijuana, other drugs that are just simple possession are now, de didn't decriminalize it, defelonized it. So okay. now those types of crimes are all misdemeanors. So that has an obvious correlation to the criminal dockets um, because there are fewer serious crimes. I think that the medical marijuana will again, it'll even up that even more so that now if you follow the the law as it is now and all the regulations, that's no longer a crime. I think it also destigmatizes mm -hmm. um, possession-based crimes. There are a ton of individuals who are incarcerated right now on simple possession crimes, on just simple drug-based crimes, which I think that the, the, the destigmatization of at least marijuana may incentivize further rehabilitation and less incarceration of those types of people. Yeah. On the other side, it's a business too. It's now going to become a business and so I think we'll see a lot of um, boosting on our civil side of people getting those types of businesses off the ground. And even just out of the court system, I think that it will, it'll provide some vigor to Tulsa business and commerce. So how does that work? Does uh, Do you see a mass um, amount of uh, appeals for people that are, have been incarcerated for drugs? I mean, what is no, that retro? Does no, that... it will not be retroactive. Okay. Um, and in fact, it doesn't go into effect until November, um, the medical marijuana bill. So if you are, say if you're um, charged and found guilty of possession of marijuana today, even you're when still... that law goes into effect, you're still guilty of that because it was still a crime when you when you had it so okay. but again if you have um you know your medical card and everything after november 1st it should no it will no longer be a crime well I, it's heartbreaking to see you know the the women uh, in particular uh, because so many of them that are incarcerated this is how they end up there and like they're serving 20 years or you know for simple possession mm -hmm. i mean am i overstating that or is that happening no that that has happened yeah. um it's certainly at least i think we've got a very good team of district attorneys in tulsa so i don't think that that is the norm but even when i was a public defender i had clients that went to jail and prison for simple possession which i'm not by any means excusing that conduct but i do think that um, those types of individuals at least if, like should be given the chance to to rehabilitate their lives yeah. instead of because a lot of times you know it's when when an individual is incarcerated it's even 
more difficult when they get out for them to get back on their feet, yeah. to get a job, to, yeah. you know. And there's so many things that you have to do even right after that a lot of people just simply aren't able to do that we would find challenging, but then it's doubly difficult or triply difficult for somebody in their circumstances. Yeah, I've seen some of those, you know, um, stories where people, they come out, they have no family, no money, no place to stay. What do you do? Yeah. Right, yeah, I mean, your choices are, are so limited, so. I, love I, I think I mean, we were talking about specific programs that might be a program to look into as to like how do we keep people from immediately reoffending because mm -hmm. of a lack of options. I think that that would be some, definitely something I would love to look into because, again, that just curbs further incarceration in the future and it just it hopefully would stop some of the cycle. Yeah. So let's uh, play this forward and say that you're elected. Okay. So elect Breck happens. Elect Breck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't. I mean, I don't know a lot about your opponent uh, because I'm so dialed into you, and we're all in for elect Breck, obviously. Right. But um, you know, so the election happens like the next day. You're the district judge. What no, happens? No, it, it would be the middle of January. Okay. Um, yeah, there is a, a transition period, so I would not take office till the middle of January, okay. and I actually don't know that specific date today, but I do know it's about two weeks into January. So it's like the presidential election, it's a, the gubernatorial, it's all the same. So right. the, the timeline, everybody takes, okay. Yeah, and I mean, and it just makes sense to, to allow like a transition in and out. And also, again, I might not take over the docket of the individual that I'm replacing. So there may be some shuffle that needs to happen sure. and all of those all of those wheels, so to speak. So. so do you leave your law firm and just take a vacation for a couple of months? Is that what, what or a month? What do you do? My intent would be um, I have several cases that I've brought into the firm that I they've been um, very gracious with me that I would try and get those cases either in a position to to close them or to trans transfer them to another individual. But no, there's a lot of work that I'd have to do between November and January to to really get my practice in a place where my clients wouldn't suffer. Will you, would you miss being an attorney and going to the judge or do you think it would just be such a, a great transition that you wouldn't? There'll be parts that I think I'll miss. Okay. I think that the, the benefits outweigh, otherwise I wouldn't do it, but there, there will be parts I'll miss. I'll miss being, you know, getting that new client that wants to adopt yeah. and, and getting to take them through that process. That's something that I will miss that I, but I'm lucky because I've gotten to do it. So yeah. it's a, it's a memory that um, I'm really glad that I'll get to keep. So I don't even know where you were raised. Like, are you sure. a Tulsa? I am not. Uh, I was raised in Edmond. So okay. born and raised in Edmond. Um, did all of my um, primary education there. Then I went to OSU Stillwater um, right after high school. I didn't take any break. So I know that there's like a mental health break that some kids are taking now. I didn't get that. Don't you wish we would have though? Yeah, I wish it was a thing whenever I, know, I was right? going to school. Um, and then right after I graduated from OSU, I came up here to the University of Tulsa for law school and I've been here since. Okay. Did you always know you were going to be an attorney? No, no. Well? It took. It was an interesting progression. I thought I was going to be a journalist. So, oh, yeah. I, um, I, and that's what my major is at OSU. Um, thought I was going to write for the newspaper and, um, or be behind the camera or something. And then I took a couple of um, political science and media law classes mm -hmm. as my electives. Really had a passion, and so then I said, okay, well. I'll take the LSAT, see, you know, like that's the next step. And mm -hmm. if it, if that doesn't work, then it wasn't meant to be. Well, I got a, quite a good score on my LSAT and um, ended up getting a full ride to TU Law. No, and, yeah. Where'd it go? Nice. And, and so then I was like, well, I think that somebody's telling me something. Yeah. So I, I, I will, uh, I'll pursue that. And then 
the rest is history. Nice. Yeah. So everything leads you to where you exactly your passion is. Yeah, how it's just so crazy how life life happens when you're busy making other plans. Mm -hmm, so. For sure. So I met you originally. You were serving on the board of the Oklahoma Equality Center. Yeah. So, OKQ. Yeah. So you have a lot. Uh, I know you you do some board work, and you you're very passionate about. I, I am. Yeah. I think that in addition to our professional lives, we just it's incumbent upon us as people to give back to our community. So. Yeah. Um, um, I, ser I still serve actually on the board of directors for OKQ. I'm also on the board of directors for Tulsa Cares, which okay. provides um, services for living for individuals living with HIV and AIDS. It's an amazing organization here in Tulsa. Yeah. And then um, last year, actually, my husband and I were the um, sit for sight chairs for Visavance, which used to be Prevent Blindness Oklahoma, which is an organization that does eye screenings for um, children in school. So. And I sat at your table. You and, did, uh, yes. And I think I, ha I, I won, which is so funny. When I say you won something, I won a few trips out of that. Which you were, did. Yeah. You got a couple of trips out of that one. So That was fun. Well, it's always fun to you know sit down and talk to somebody that is so passionate about not only what they do, but the community that they live in, the people that they are around. And uh, man, Elect Breck, I'm just super excited for you. So We tried luck. to make it easy, so yeah. we're gonna make it rhyme. So. Yeah, I know, well, good luck to you. Thank you, All thank right. you. Hi, this is Tracy. I hope you've been enjoying the podcast. To find out more about our books, online courses, and other resource materials, check us out at tracyspears.com. Mm -hmm.